Well, good evening. Good evening and welcome to Calvary Chapel. You can turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 10. 2 Chronicles 22 verse 10. And as you're turning there, I want to thank everyone who came early to set up for this weekend's event. And uh, a lot of work got done today because you guys pulled together, so thank you for that. Actually, I think there's a few people down there still doing some stuff. But uh, this evening we find ourselves talking about Josiah and his reign as king of Judah. But his reign is talked about against the backdrop of probably what was one of the worst moments in Israel, or should I say Judah's history, southern kingdom of Judah's history. It was just an awful time because of the things that happened leading up to Joash's reign. For several years, for about six or seven years, they went through one of the worst times in their history. Let's start by looking at verses 10 through 12 in chapter 22. We'll finish out the uh, chapter that we started last week. You're going to be introduced to a woman by the name of Athaliah. And uh, she was the mother of Ahaziah, a king who was just recently killed. And she is easily one of the most wicked people, let alone women, in the Bible. Let's read. Verse 10. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered, and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Because Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, and the wife of the priest Jehoiada, was Ahaziah's sister, she hid the child from Athaliah so she could not kill him. He remained hidden with them at the temple of God for six years, while Athaliah ruled the land. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, it is encouraging to know that when nations or kingdoms go through difficult times, you're still in control. We see this on, on Sundays in our studies in Daniel. You're sovereign. There's never a moment when you're not in control of everything that's taking place in our world and in our lives. And especially in our nation, Lord, we trust you. That though we're going through difficult and challenging times, we know clearly that you are in control of all things. Put our spirits at rest. Give us peace, knowing that we can trust you in these darker times, knowing that you will bring us through them and that you have an answer to every question and every problem we encounter. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is so important to keep a positive outlook. You know, I think if far too many people are willing to become depressed and start to think that all is lost, when in fact we know all is not lost because God is in control. So as we look at the scripture this evening, we've just read one section that talks about the fact that Joash, the heir to the throne, was hidden from his wicked grandmother, Athaliah, by his aunt, Jehoshaphat, that is his father's sister. She was also married to the high priest. So here you have this problem in the royal family. You have a coup, really. You have people that are taking over and just killing anyone that would be in their way, anyone that might threaten their reign. And, and it's, it's hard to imagine how a grandmother, of all things, a grandmother, 
would kill children and grandchildren just to maintain power. But you know, when you give yourself over to wickedness and you really truly crave power more than anything else, you will destroy anyone or anything that gets in your way. That's what happens when you give your heart to power and you desire power above anyone else's welfare, including those that you're supposed to love. Clearly, she had no love for anyone but herself. This woman, Athaliah, whose name means afflicted by the Lord or afflicted of the Lord, she's the wife of Jehoram, that is the previous king, and the mother of Ahaziah, the current king who just died. These are the kings of Judah. But she was also the daughter of the ungodly and idolatrous Ahab and Jezebel. So that explains why she's so wicked. Her parents are among the most wicked people in the Bible, and she seems to even supersede them. How how do you reconcile that? You know, in a world when you have situations where you have such ungodly, wicked people in control of a nation or a country or a movement in our nation, it's hard not to stop and say, God, why have you allowed that person to be in control of whatever they're in control of? Why have you allowed them to have influence and power? Why have you allowed them to have the position of authority that they have? God is in control, amen? It's for his purposes, and I'm learning, I'm learning as I get older to trust God, that even though things don't look the way that I would want them to look, God has set things up in a certain way for his purposes, for his goodwill in our lives. Well, she lost, important note about this woman, she lost all of her other children to the Philistines and the Arabs. We studied that last week. So she had become embittered. She was a a wicked person, but a cold-hearted person who had really foregone, at this point, any attachment to anyone, clearly. She lost her husband, who died a miserable and painful death in chapter 21. We read that two weeks ago. And this man, Jehu, king of Israel, he's the current king of Israel, he had just recently killed her entire family and destroyed the entire house of Ahab. So everyone she knows, everyone she's related to, has been killed children, and all that's left is her grandchildren, and the only thing she can think to do is kill them too. You see, there's such a thing as a possession by a spirit of evil that allows you to do things that no human being can even do, and human beings are pretty wicked. But this is beyond that. It's demonic. It's evil at a level that hopefully we never can conceive of. This man, Jehu, had killed her son, Ahaziah, king of Judah, and even her brother, Joram, king of Israel. And he ordered her mother, Jezebel's attendants, to throw her out of a window. We read about that in 2 Kings chapter 9. So all of this brutality, all of this wickedness, all these things that have happened to her family, and she's still just as wicked as she was before they happened. Well, then she tries to kill her husband's entire family and destroy the house of David. What could have possessed her? Well, I'll tell you what would have possessed her. The devil himself, because God had made a promise to David and his household that there wouldn't fail to be an heir to sit on the throne of David. Now, the promise was conditional in terms of them actually sitting on the throne, but Messiah would come from the line of kings, and if this line was cut off, then God's promise to bring a Messiah through David would have failed or could have failed. And we know that God's promises never fail, amen? So, God is faithful. God is in control. 
She was ruthless, this woman, vicious in her desire to hold on to power, even willing to have her own grandchildren put to death. And sometimes politicians in our world will do anything to get or maintain power. Don't be surprised. God knows, and God is in control. Well, Jehoshaphat, in contrast to this wicked woman, you have this wonderfully faithful woman, Jehoshaphat, whose name means Jehovah has sworn. That is, God has made a promise. Her name means God has made a promise, and she's responsible as God uses her to maintain the promise that God made to his people to preserve his son. She's appropriately named. She really is. But then again, so is Athaliah, because her name means afflicted by the Lord, or afflicted of the Lord. And she was afflicted, but why did the Lord afflict her? Because she was wicked. So back to Jehoshaphat, she's the half-sister of Ahaziah, king of Judah, who was just recently killed. And she hides her infant nephew, Joash, and his nurse from Athaliah's purge of the house of David. And had she not hidden this child, there would not be a descendant from David to sit on the throne. The kingdom of David, or the kingly line of David, was narrowly preserved by the Lord's grace and mercy. But listen, Jehovah had sworn that he would, and indeed he did. In fact, I I want to back up to chapter 21, verse 7. I believe we read this last week. The Lord said this, Nevertheless, because of the covenant the Lord has made with David, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David. He had promised to maintain a lamp for him and his descendants forever. That is, to have a descendant to sit on the throne. God's promises are sure. Even when it seems like his promises might fail, they never fail. He never fails. So she and her husband, that is Jehoshaphat and her husband, Jehoiada the high priest, hid Joash, his little infant, at the temple for six years. For six years, they hid him in the one place that Athaliah would never have been allowed to enter. Smart. And so Athaliah, this wicked, evil woman, ruled over the kingdom of Judah during the years that Judah had no king. She was not the queen, but she ruled over the nation anyway. Because no one knew that a descendant of the king, an heir to Ahaziah, lived. Well then, and I like this, we get to chapter 23, verses 1 through 10, and we see Jehoiada the high priest, he begins to conspire against this woman to place Joash on the throne of Judah. This is the plan. They're going to allow the child to get a little bit older, and then they're going to present the king, and they're going to take care of this wicked woman. And so... In verses 1 through 10, we read, uh, we're in chapter 23 now of 2 Chronicles. In the seventh year, Jehoiada showed his strength. He made a covenant with the commanders of the units of a hundred, and Azariah, son of Joram, Ishmael, son of Jehoiada, Azariah, son of Obed, and and these are just individuals who supported him, Masiah, son of Ariah, and Elishaphat, son of Zikri, They went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites and the heads of the Israelite families from all the towns. When they came to Jerusalem, the whole assembly made a covenant with the king at the temple of God. They bring them to the temple courts and present the king. Well, Jehoiada said to them, The king's son shall reign as the Lord promised concerning the descendants of David. Now this is what you are to do. He's got it all planned out. A third of you priests and Levites who are going on duty on the Sabbath, are to keep watch at the doors. A third of you at the royal palace and a third at the foundation gate. 
And all the other men are to be in the courtyards of the temple of the Lord. No one is to enter the temple of the Lord except the priests and the Levites on duty. They may enter because they are consecrated, but all the other men are to stand guard. Uh, Excuse me, all the other men are to guard what the Lord has assigned to them. The Levites are to station themselves around the king, each man with his weapons in his hand. Anyone who enters the temple must be put to death. Stay close to the king wherever he goes. Well, the Levites and all the men of Judah did just as Jehoiada the priest ordered. Each one took his men, those who were going on duty on the Sabbath and those who were going off duty, for Jehoiada the priest had not released any of the divisions. Then he gave the commanders of units a hundred of the spears uh, and the large small shields that had belonged to King David that were in the temple of God. And he stationed all the men, each with his weapon in his hand, around the king near the altar and the temple from the south side to the north side of the temple. I'm struck by how prepared this man was. Well, he had six years, right? Six or seven years to to prepare this. And as he did, he gained the support of those who were loyal to the king by presenting the king at just the right time. Now, we know we're looking for a day when the king will be presented at just the right time. Amen? Amen. And then all those who are loyal to him, all those who serve him, will usher in his kingdom for a thousand years. And those who are in control today, and those who are in control, who will be in control at that time, will be dealt with when the Lord returns. Amen? So it's a picture, a little bit of a picture of what we can look forward to when our king is presented. We long for that day. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. You see, what Jehoiada did, and by the way, his name means Jehovah knows. Jehovah knows. He gained the support of the army and the king's personal bodyguard. He revealed the young king to those who had sworn to protect his life, which immediately caused them to be loyal. And they gathered the Levites and the heads of the Israelite families to Jerusalem, and he commanded all of them to guard the temple and protect the king. This would not work otherwise. And he gathered those forces loyal to the king at the temple, On the Sabbath day. Why the Sabbath day? Because he chose a time and a day when the temple was crowded to avoid suspicion. Why else would there be crowds there? Well, it's the Sabbath. And he armed them with the spears and the shields that were stored in the temple. He had it all worked out. And then Jehoiada the high priest crowned Joash. Look at verses 11 through 15. This is a real high note. You know, when things are so terrible and then things turn around very quickly... It's exciting, right? It's like if you're in the movies and you're watching a movie like that, you stand up, you start to clap, you scream, you yell. If you're at home, you do the same thing. You're reading a book and you get to a chapter where finally the heroes win and you you just you just are so happy that things are working out the way they're supposed to. Well, here we are in this account in the Bible recognizing that God was truly in control. And now all these things are starting to fall into place. In verse 11, Jehoiada and his sons brought out the king's son and put the crown on him. They presented him with a copy of the covenant. That is the word of God. No better gift you can give someone, especially a young king. And proclaimed him king. They anointed him and shouted, long live the king. When Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and cheering, the king, she went to them at the temple of the Lord. She looked, and there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance. 
The officers and the trumpeters were beside the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets, and singers with musical instruments were leading the praises. And then Athaliah, that wicked woman, then Athaliah tore her robes and shouted, Treason! Treason! Joy to the high priest sent out the commanders of units of a hundred who were in charge of the troops, and they said to them, Bring her out between the ranks and put her to the sword, or put to the sword, anyone who follows her. For the priest had said, Do not put her to death at the temple of the Lord. So they seized her as she reached the entrance of the horse gate on the palace grounds, and there they put her to death. Amen. Don't you love it when the evil people get what they got coming? Oh, of course, let's be honest. As Christians, we would rather people repent, give their hearts to God. But I think it's fair to say this Athaliah was never going to repent. She had done such wickedness and such evil. Her parents were wicked. Her whole family was wicked. She was just completely corrupt. And now she's dead because God is in control. I want you to understand that when you think of the most wicked people in our world today, and I'm not going to name anyone in particular, But if you think of a very wicked person in our world today, in our nation or in Europe or wherever, and you think, oh, Lord, what's going to stop this wicked person? What are we going to do? Why don't we just stop and pray, Lord, deal with this person according to your will and in accordance with your word? Yes, we pray for mercy. For those that repent, that'd be the best possible answer. But if they're not going to repent, smite them, Lord. Seriously, if they're not going to repent, God knows, and in his time, he will bring judgment on those who are wicked. We have to trust God with that determination. He's a righteous judge. He'll judge righteously. You can count on that. You can depend on that. And prayerfully, you can not only pray for it, you can look for it to happen. And when it does, you can rejoice not in someone's suffering, but in our deliverance from wickedness. Amen? That gives me hope to know that God can take out the most wicked people very easily. And here he did that exact thing. And so Joash was crowned by Jehoiada. And by the way, Joash, his name, actually means given by the Lord. Given by the Lord. It's interesting how these names in this chapter in particular just point to the character and the nature of the individuals that are named. That was often the case. But Jehoiada proclaimed Joash king over Judah, providing him with a copy of the law. And you know, here in our children's ministry, when the kids get to a certain age, we give them a study Bible, a copy of God's Word, and the notes they need to understand God's Word. And hopefully that copy of the law, that copy of God's covenant, will serve them the rest of their lives as they serve the Lord. And that's according to the Lord's command, actually. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, they were supposed to do that. Give the king the word of God. Give the king the word of God. That is exactly the answer. That is the way we influence rulers, with the word of God. You might say, well, they ignore the word of God. Oh, but we know what Isaiah said. His word never returns void. You can't defy the word of God. You can't ignore the word of God. You can reject the word of God to your own peril. But the word of God must be given to those in power and in authority. 
so that they can be held accountable to God's word. Well, all the people rejoiced at the anointing of Joash, the king of Judah, after six years without a king, many of them thinking that there was no king. This is the end of the nation. It's over. Nothing good's going to happen. This is it. This is the end of our nation. No, it wasn't. It was a difficult time, but it was the beginning of reform, as we'll see. Well, when Athaliah discovered she had been replaced as ruler over the kingdom of Judah, boy, was she surprised. I wish someone had gotten a picture of her face. Would love to have seen that. Joy had ordered the king's forces to put Athaliah and those loyal to her to death, and they were killed. And then Jehoiada. Now, here's the thing. Joash is a little boy. He's the king, but Jehoiada is really the one that takes over the kingdom as high priest. He rules as co-regent. He really rules as a regent because they have to wait for Joash to grow up to be old enough to be king. But in the meantime, Jehoiada, who's a righteous man, is given the kingdom as a steward to watch over the kingdom until Joash can rule and reign. And so what does he do? He reformed the kingdom of Judah and restored the throne to the kingly line of David. He could have seized power for himself, but he didn't. He was a righteous man. Let's read in verses 16 through 21, we read, that Jehoiada then made a covenant that he and the people and the king would be the Lord's people. And all the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed the altars and idols and killed Matin, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. And then Jehoiada placed the oversight of the temple of the Lord in the hands of the priests who were Levites, to whom David had made assignments in the temple to present the burnt offerings of the Lord as written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and singing as David had ordered. He also stationed doorkeepers at the gates of the Lord's temple so that no one who was in any way unclean might enter. He took with him the commanders of hundreds, the nobles, the rulers of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the temple of the Lord. And they went into the palace through the upper gate and seated the king on the royal throne. And all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, because Athaliah had been slain with the sword. What a glorious moment. What a glorious moment that came out of one of the darkest moments of their history. Do you believe that God is in the business of doing glorious, awesome things in the darkest of times? Because you look at the history of God and his people, And even the history of our nation and some of the darkest days proved to be the door to some of the greatest moments in history. We just recently, on the 6th of June, remembered the invasion of D-Day. At least most of us did. I don't think the White House remembered. But I think anyone who really appreciates our nation and the sacrifices that were made to preserve our way of life understands that that moment was a time of incredible sacrifice. And so we remember, we actually celebrate the lives of those who died to secure peace in Europe during the Second World War. It brought about the end of the war. It was a glorious moment in our history. But up until that time, things looked bleak. I happen to be a fan of history, American history in particular, and I watch documentaries about World War II quite often, or movies about that time. And I, and I always am amazed. You, you read these histories and how one thing made all the difference, and you can't help but see the hand of God in so many ways. And so the invasion of D-Day brought about the end of one of the worst wars ever fought on the planet, if not the worst. Things were dark, but they got better, didn't they? 
I want to encourage you. We are in dark days. I'm not denying that. These are incredibly dark days. But are we on the cusp of incredibly awesome days? I don't know. We'll see how the midterms turn out. Regardless, though, you have to know that God is in control. You have to know that God is doing good work in the midst of dark days. I want to encourage you. Don't give up hope. Pray. Put your hope in God. He's worthy of our faith being placed in him because he never fails. Amen? Amen. Convince me. Amen? Amen. That's what I want to hear. And so, joy to reform the kingdom of Judah. He restored the worship of the Lord in Judah. That was the most important thing that needed to be restored in the nation. It is in ours today as well. The true, sincere worship of God. That is the most important reformation that needs to take place in our world, and especially in our nation. The true and sincere worship of God. Well, the people committed themselves to worship the Lord, to serve the king. They completely destroyed the the Baal worship in Judah, just tore down the temple. And the priests and Levites were restored to service within the temple. This is a reformation in a matter of hours, really. And they placed Joash on the throne of Judah with the support of the army and of the people. And he, this man, Jehoiada, ruled on the young king's behalf as a regent until he was old enough to reign as king. As I've said, this man, Jehoiada, interestingly enough, may have been as old as 107. He, he was an incredibly old individual. He may have been as young as 90 or as old as 107. We're not sure exactly. But this was a crucial time in Judah's history And like Daniel, who was an aged man, by the time you get to the end of the book, this man was aged, wise. But he was a man who brought about the reformation of the kingdom of Judah. God used him to really save the nation. I I heard someone say something on the news just this morning, I believe, as I was preparing breakfast. Uh, someone was quoted, I don't remember who said it, but someone was quoted as saying, if there was ever a time we needed a hero, it's now. And I I would say not just a hero, heroes. Not only of the faith, but of our nation. More than ever, we need it. Well, they had Jehoiada. Between the age of 90 or 107, he was born during the reign of Solomon, king of Israel. He had succeeded Amariah, who had served during the reign of, of Jehoshaphat. So he was now the high priest, a very influential man, but he's also ruling and reigning. So think about that. You have a priest, a godly man, ruling and reigning over the nation. Well, of course things got better. We know what it looks like when an ungodly man is over a nation. Things don't get better, do they? They tend to get worse. Would you agree? But when you put a godly man in that position, things are are prone to get better. They're bound to get better because God ministers through that person and to that person and leads through that person and blesses his people. Well, Joash is just seven, seven years old, had a tremendous calling upon his life. He had not, had he not lived or not provided even an heir. Think about that. Because he lived, but what if something happened before he could have a child? The messianic line would have failed if that were the case. But the Lord placed him in the care of a couple that raised him to fear the Lord. And that is God's doing, because God is in control. Well, now we pick it up in chapter 24, verse 1. We read that Joash was seven years old when he became king. 
And he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. Of course, much of that time he was still a child, and Jehoiada was actually in, in ruling in Jerusalem. But his mother's name was Zibia. She was from Beersheba. And so this man, whose name means given by the Lord, reigned for 40 years. For 40 years. It's a long reign. Seven years old when he became king. And God was in control. We get to verse 2. We see Jeho- uh, Joash his relationship with the Lord, at least while Jehoiada was around, was very good. Look at verse 2. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada chose two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. And you might be thinking, like I was thinking when I read this, well, if they're doing things according to God's word, why is he having him have two wives? Well, He chose two wives for Joash to ensure the birth of an heir. That was the most important thing in the kingdom right now. So that kind of makes sense, even though we may not understand that in our culture. Those kings had multiple wives. In fact, most of the kings had many, 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 many wives. But here, at least two wives to make sure that there would be enough sons uh, to rule and reign once Joash died. So that's the idea. But anyway, this man was fully devoted to the Lord as God. He was under the instruction of Jehoiada the priest, and so he learned from the best. He was unable, though, to completely eliminate the idolatrous altars from the land, 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 3 tells us, which is to say that many of the people were still wicked, even though the king was living a righteous life. So what does that tell me? Well, that tells me that in our nation, any nation, there's going to be people who are wicked and people who are righteous. What's the difference? Who's leading them? You see, if you have a righteous leader, then those who are righteous are led, and they continue to be righteous, and those who are wicked, well, you know, they're not put in control. So they have less influence, a lot less influence. But when you have a wicked man in control of a nation or a kingdom, then while there may be righteous people, the wicked people are put in control, and they have greater influence. So under the... uh, under the covers hidden there is this wickedness that exists in the hearts of some, of some of the people. But the king and Jehoiada are leading the people righteously, so even though there's great wickedness in the hearts of some of the people, it's held at bay. And listen, that's about the best you can hope for in any kingdom. Really, I mean, if you think everyone's always going to be righteous, that's just never going to happen, not in our nation, not in any nation. But when those that lead us are righteous, things can change for the better. And we'll be blessed by God. Well, we go on to read in verses 4 through, let's read through verse 14. Sometime later, Joash decided to restore the temple of the Lord. Ah, This is a noble aspiration. He called together the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go to the towns of Judah and collect the money due annually from all Israel to repair the temple of your God. Do it now. But the Levites did not act at once. They didn't have that sense of urgency. Well, therefore, the king summoned Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, Why haven't you required the Levites to bring in from Judah and Jerusalem the tax imposed by Moses, the servant of the Lord, and by the assembly of Israel for the tent of the testimony? Now the sons of that wicked woman, Athaliah, had broken into the temple of God and had used even its sacred objects for the Baals. Not the king's command. A chest was made and placed outside at the gate of the temple of the Lord. And a proclamation was then issued in Judah 
and Jerusalem that they should bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required of Israel in the desert. And all the officials and all the people brought their contributions gladly, dropping them into the chest until it was full. Whenever the chest was brought in by the Levites to the king's officials, they saw that there was a large amount of money. The royal secretary and the officer of the chief priest would come and empty the chest and carry it back to its place. And they did this regularly and collected a great amount of money. Well, the king and Jehoiada gave it to the men who carried out the work required for the temple of the Lord. They hired masons and carpenters to restore the Lord's temple and also workers in iron and bronze to repair the temple. The men in charge of the work were diligent, and the repairers progressed under them. They rebuilt the temple of God according to its original design and reinforced it. And they, when they had finished, they brought the rest of the money to the king and Jehoiada, uh, and with it were made articles for the Lord's temple, articles for the service and for the burnt offerings, and also dishes and other objects of gold and silver. And as long as Jehoiada lived, burnt offerings were presented continually in the temple of the Lord. So you see, Jehoiada still has that incredible influence for God, even though now the king, Joash, is ruling on his own. He's still a counselor to the king. He's still the high priest. He's still the one directing much of what's taking place in the kingdom of Judah. Joash, though, directed the priests and the Levites to allocate the funds necessary to repair the temple. You know, one of the things that really gets me upset is when we as a nation allocate funds for specific purposes, but then they're never really spent on what they're supposed to be spent on. You know, it's really frustrating. It's like, I really want people to go to jail. Is that wrong of me? You know, you take our money and you say, oh yeah, we're going to spend it on COVID relief, or we're going to spend it on building schools, or we're going to spend it on security, we're going to spend it on this. And then you turn around and it's spent on solar panels. You know, there's a part of me that gets angry. And it happens a lot because of the corruption we see in our nation. Well, the people were giving money in Judah, but the money wasn't being used to repair the temple. Where was the money going exactly? That seems to be the most important question we can ask nowadays. Where is the money going nowadays? Where is it going? We know where it was supposed to go, but somehow it never seems to get there. Because you see, the temple was in significant need of repair, except that no one was repairing it. It's like our bridges and our roads, right? I was driving here today through some construction that's taking place over there by Great Notch, right on the border of, uh, I guess, Montclair and Woodland Park. And I hit a pothole so big, it scared me terribly. And I thought to myself, I know they're doing construction, but boy, oh boy, the state of our roads, our bridges, our airports, our infrastructure is horrible, and yet money seems to be hemorrhaging from our government to all types of different causes. Does that get you angry? Because it gets me angry. And I would have been angry if I were King Joash, and I knew that money was being collected to repair the temple, and then the temple's falling apart. See, the necessary funds had not been made available for general maintenance. So Joash and Jehoiada were forced to champion this effort when those in charge failed to get things done. The priests were misappropriating the funds and accomplishing little, if anything. So there was still corruption. That's the point I'm trying to make. Even though things had gotten better, the temple had been looted, we were told that, during the time of wicked Athaliah. So they had needs. So the king set up a new system of collection with fiscal accountability. Imagine that. The funds were spent on repairing the temple and not on sacred articles. You learn about that in 2 Kings 12. We're told that the money was 
being spent on sacred articles for the priests instead of repairing the ceilings, the walls, the infrastructure. It was being spent on them. And I think any time money is misappropriated, you can easily find out where it's spent. It's spent on the people spending it. And that's what happened there. Well, they hired only men of integrity to complete the necessary temple repairs. And they judiciously allocated funds spent to appease guilt and sin to these corrupt priests. So people would come and they would give a guilt or a sin offering. That's the money they gave to the priests. It's appropriate. They were guilty and they gave them the guilt and the sin offerings. They were supposed to be supported. But I want you to think about it with me. Would you rather live off misappropriated funds or the money that people bring when they sin? I think that was a pay cut. What do you think? It's kind of what we're told there. 2 Kings chapter 12. Well, the contractors had more than enough money to finish the job. Imagine that. And then... We learn in verse 14, they returned the, main, the remaining funds, which were spent then on the sacred article. So the things they needed, they spent the money on after the most important things were taken care of. You see, I'm okay with spending money on, on solar panels if, if I don't hit a pothole like I hit this evening on the way to church. I just, I just think that there's an appropriate use of funds in our nation, in our culture, and the first things have to come first. Would you agree? Well, that was what they did. And I love that reform. I think it's, it says a lot about these men at this time. But then something horrible happens. Jehoiada dies and things go south. And we see now what happens when godly influence, we talked about this on Sunday, when there's no godly influence, how terribly awful things can become and how quickly they can become that way. Let's look at verses 15 through 22. You're going to be shocked. If you haven't read this already, you're going to be surprised And what happened next? In verse 15, Now Jehoiada was old and full of years, and he died at the age of 130. You see, he lived a long time. God preserved him. Good thing, right? Had he not lived that long, things would have gotten bad much more quickly. But he was buried with the kings in the city of David because of the good he had done in Israel for God and his temple. Now, that, that's important to note. I mean, Jehoiada died at 130, and he's buried in the tomb of the kings. He's not a king, but he's buried in the tombs of the kings. And then look at what happens next in verse 17. After the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king. You, you see what happens? He, he, he's still a young king. He's still influential. Jehoiada dies, and guess what happens next? The rats, they kind of just come in and start to influence this king and turn things in the wrong direction. It says, they paid homage to the king and he listened to them. They abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and worshipped Asherah, poles, and idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came upon Judah and Jerusalem. And although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, And though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada. That's the high priest's son, who's also a prophet. So you might say he's high priest and prophet, or maybe he's not the high priest, but he's definitely a prophet. Son of Jehoiada, the priest. 
He stood before the people and said, this is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. That's a message to our generation today. We've been forsaken as a nation only because we've forsaken God. God hasn't forsaken us. We've forsaken him. Notice, but they plotted against him and by order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. King Joash did not remember the kindness Zechariah's father Jehoiada had showed him, but killed his son, who said, as he lay dying, may the Lord see this and call you to account. That's a horrible story. It's not a happy ending, is it? It's not the way I would have expected things to have gone, and yet they did. Joash forsook the Lord his God after the death of Jehoiada the priest. See, Joash was corrupted by the leaders of the people of Judah. He was too easily influenced by the words and the lifestyles of others. The people of Judah abandoned the temple of the Lord. They turned to idolatry, and the Lord's anger came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their guilt. So what did the Lord do? He didn't destroy them. He sent prophets to the people of Judah, but they refused to listen to them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, and he rebuked the people of Judah for their disobedience to the Lord's commands. They were rebuked. He declared the Lord had forsaken them for their rejection of him. But then in verse 21 through 22, we read, and we've read it already, They plotted against him, and by order of the king, they stoned him to death. It's just so sad. Zechariah was the cousin and adopted brother of Joash, and he had him killed for rebuking him. Joash betrayed the memory of his uncle and his adopted father, Jehoiada the priest. Zechariah prayed with his last breath that the Lord would hold this man, Joash, accountable. And indeed he did, and we'll see that he did. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, and in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, Jesus may have mentioned his death when he was rebuking the Pharisees. He mentioned a prophet by the name of Zechariah. It's more than likely this man. What an awful thing to have happen. Well, I want to remind you that God was being merciful and gracious, even with this nation at this time. And yet he brought his judgment. Look at verses 23 through 24. At the turn of the year, the army of Aram, that is Syria, marched out against Joash. It invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed all of the leaders of the people. They sent all the plunder of their king in, uh, in Damascus, or excuse me, sent all the plunder to their king in Damascus. And although the Aramean army had come with only a few men, the Lord delivered into their hands a much larger army, because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers, Judgment was executed on Joash. So God did fulfill the prayer and the prophecy of Zechariah as he lied de- uh, lay dying, as he lied there, and as he looked up and said, May the Lord hold you to account. May the Lord see this and call you to account. This Aramean army came in, invaded the nation, killed all the leaders of the people. Now, we don't wish for that, but things had gotten so bad that that was the cure. That was the only thing that would save them if all their leaders were put to death. By the way, these were the same leaders that had corrupted Joash after Jehoiada's death. They had it coming. And so the Lord used the Arameans to judge Joash and these wicked men. 
And 2 Kings tells us that this King Joash was later forced to pay a heavy tribute to Haziel, king of Aram, because of the troubles that God allowed to come into the nation. And then we learn of the ultimate judgment upon Joash in verse 25, verses 25 and 26 we read, When the Arameans withdrew, they left Joash severely wounded. His officials conspired against him for murdering the son of Jehoiada the priest, and they killed him in his bed. So he died and was buried in the city of David, but notice, not in the tombs of the kings. Those who conspired against him were Zabad, son of Shimeath, an Ammonite woman, and Jehoshabad, son of Shimrith, a Moabite woman. The account of his sons, the many prophecies about him, and the record of the restoration of the temple of God are written in the annotations of the book of the kings, and Amaziah, his son, succeeded him as king. As we close, it's, it's kind of a, a, a bummer, isn't it? It's kind of a, not a happy ending. You have this king who is preserved, and God spares him, and this wonderful man, Jehoiada, that brings such reformation, and then he dies, and as soon as he dies, things just turn south because this king was so easily influenced by wicked men. But he got his. He was assassinated in his bed at Bath Milo by two of his own officials, we're told, in Second Kings chapter 12. Two of his own officials took him out. Apparently, he had been severely wounded and left politically weak after the Aramean invasion. And so his officials conspired against him. Why? Because it was absolutely horrendous what he did to Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest. That is what inflamed the passion of these men such that they actually assassinated the king. This man buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings of Judah. Remember, Joash was a king, yet he wasn't given a king's burial. Jehoiada was a priest, not a king, a regent, and he was given a king's burial. So at the end of the day, the real king was Jehoiada. But the one that maintained the line of David was Joash. And the men who killed him were children of unlawful mixed marriages, Ammonites and Moabites. And I just want to show you this because this is kind of interesting. The language tells us something interesting. Zabad, who avenged Zechariah, his name means Jehovah remembers. And so does Zechariah's name mean Jehovah remembers. So Zabad avenged Zechariah, and their names mean the same thing. Jehoshabad means Jehovah has given. He killed Joash, whose name means given by the Lord. So a little bit of a wordplay there almost. This As you see, God was in control. And I think it just shows us God was in control. He took this guy out because he had turned his back on his God. Well, the record of all of Joash's other accomplishments has been preserved for us. As, of course, I've mentioned already, the book of 2 Kings records Joash's reign. As the king of Judah, you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 12. We also have the book of the annals of the kings of Judah. That's First and Second Chronicles, which is what we're reading now and studying. Uh, the annotations on the book of the kings are included in First and Second Kings. So we have a lot of knowledge and information about this king and many of the other kings. As we've said, he reigned for about 40 years, right? Total of 40 years. And his son succeed, uh, exceeded, excuse me, succeeded him. And you would hope that the next king would be a good king. Well, you have to come back next week or you can read ahead and find out if that's so. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the lessons in your word. We pray that we would have been encouraged to live righteous lives by the example 
of this man who was righteous but turned wicked. But Lord, we thank you for the righteous example of Jehoiada, his wife Jehoshabed, and how you work through righteous people to maintain and perfect your will in our lives. Lord, the wicked cannot prosper, and they don't prosper. And you're in control. And we ask that you would be as control as, as in control of our nation as you were in the kingdom of Judah. May you deal with wickedness in high places. May we see it and know it's your hand. May you save us from the wicked individuals that lead us. May they come to repentance or be judged according to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.